0: Uh, Before we jump into the sermon today, uh, this is the Sunday that we are recognizing our graduates. Uh, We have uh, quite a few of them, um, or seems like quite a few to me. I don't know what's normal around here, still only been here for a year. Uh, But uh, we have five different 8th grade graduates, uh, Blake Buchanan, Rhett Claude Felter, Lily Combs, Chance Hager, and Carson Tully. Uh, We have five high school graduates as well and Garrett when I call your name you go ahead and come on up Garrett's the one who is here uh, during this service. Uh, Zach Carey, Garrett Halfacre, uh, Christina Johnson, Brianna McKinstry, and Aniston Wager, Uh, and then three college graduates uh, William Johnson II, Jamie Shields, and Paul Williams. Uh, So, Garrett, there you go. Congratulations. (laughs) Steve, make sure you get me the address, and I'll send Paul's to him uh, when it's time. So uh, we are we are thankful uh, for all the support our, our students and our graduates receive from the church. Uh, we, you know, we want to be sure that we are praying for them as they take uh, this this next step in their life, whether it be entering into high school, college, the workforce, whatever it may be. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> now uh, we're gonna jump into the sermon here and. Uh, I want to mention, so Whitney and I have been married uh, 10 years on June 11th, uh, so just not quite two weeks away uh, from our 10-year anniversary. But uh, we got married before her senior year of college, and so she finished up, and then we we moved to uh, Danville so I could do an internship uh, in youth ministry at my home church. And, and while we were there, uh, Whitney got to know some people, uh, made some friends. And one of those friends, uh, she and her husband, They got a new puppy, and it was, you know, cute little dog and everything. And, um, of course, she found out that puppy had a sister that was in the pound. You know, same, you know, they look exactly the same, same litter. And we're talking one night, and she really wants a puppy. We don't have kids yet. And And I said, well, you know, you're working, I'm working like, I've never had a pet. I, you know, didn't particularly want one. Uh, it wasn't something that, you know, my I had my internship going, but there was, you know, it there was an endpoint there. It was only gonna last a couple of months, and then, you know, she was working at a daycare and making minimum wage, and that was fine for the two of us, but man, the dog's gonna need shots and food and toys and all these things. And so we talk it out and we decide, you know what? We're we're just not at a point where we need that because we're hoping that you know my internship ends and I'll go and find some full time employment at a church, right? And well, I thought we had it all settled, right? We weren't going to get a dog. Turns out we compromised and we did get a dog. <laughs> uh, she talked to her mom, convinced her mom was going to pay for this, and she was going to do that. Uh, so yeah, we compromised if we got a dog. Um, <laughs> so who, who among us ha- hasn't thought that, you know what, we, we came to a reasonable conclusion and then it turned out that we weren't as right as we thought we were? Maybe, maybe most of us um, men that are married, uh, we, we understand that sometimes you just don't win, uh, <laughs> even when you're trying to compromise there. And the compromise sometimes ends up in, I'm going to make sure she's happy. Uh, I'm going to make sure she gets what she wants. Um, compromise is important in marriage. Um, usually, more of a meeting in the middle than that instance, uh, but uh, it, it's not just important in marriage. It's important in all aspects of life, in in business, in uh, you know education, in all different walks of life. It matters, and sometimes uh, we have to compromise on what we want because what we want may not be what is best for everyone. You know we have to we have to find a way to meet in the middle. We can't always get our way, but sometimes compromise is not good, and it may cost us more than we could ever imagine. There is a cost of compromise in a lot of situations. Um, in Second Samuel chapter eleven, King David gives us a very good example uh, of when compromise may cost you. Uh, And it says in verse one, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So already here in the first verse, David has made a compromise that we will see has some consequences later on. The text says that in the spring, kings would normally go to war, but David sent Joab to lead the troops and remained in Jerusalem. A few weeks ago on Mother's Day, Bill mentioned Esther and said that she was in the right place at the right time, right, that verse, for such a time as this. Maybe you were created for such a time as this to save her people. But David is in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's made a compromise that has put him somewhere he should not be, whether... It was out of laziness, you know, I just, I just don't want to go off and fight the battles. Uh, or maybe it was arrogance, where our army is so strong, they don't even need me, I'm going to send Joab, he'll take care of it. Uh, or, you know, any number of reasons, whatever it was, David didn't do what he was supposed to do, so he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And so, you know, sometimes... We find ourselves at the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, also. Um, Whitney and I were driving uh, back to our hotel from the Cubs-Cardinals game, and yes, Bill, it was the one game the Cardinals won in the series that we were in and saw. Uh, But we're not overly familiar uh, with driving in St. Louis, and she programmed the GPS, and we found out later that what went wrong was it was giving us walking directions uh, because when she programmed it, we were stopped uh, in the parking garage waiting to get out. Uh, and so it took these twists and turns, and we end up in an area where it's, there, there's no people around, everything is dark, and it's just, this looks like the wrong place to be. So we pulled over in a well-lit area, we reprogrammed the GPS, we got back to the hotel, uh, everything. But um, there, there's other wrong places to be, maybe... Uh, you're in an online argument uh, with someone who there's no way they're going to change their mind, and it's just frustrating you more and more. Uh, and it's you know causing you maybe to get angry and maybe even say some things you shouldn't. When you know you just need to leave that person alone. They're stubborn, just like you are. And uh, not that I know what that's like or anything. Um, and, and and maybe the words that you want to say are going to come across in a way that. You know, it's absolutely not loving. It's absolutely not uh, reflecting Jesus. Um, maybe you are alone in a, uh, an intimate setting with a member of the opposite sex that is not your spouse. That is the wrong place to be. Um, maybe you are asleep in bed because your alarm didn't go off and you are not in your office or in the classroom like you're supposed to be. Uh, Whatever the case may be, I'm sure we can all think of a time we were in the wrong place at the wrong time. It doesn't always end in catastrophe because there's still the opportunity to make the right choices, right? We still got out of that that neighborhood that was, you know, maybe not where we wanted to be. Uh, We still got out of uh, the situation. If you oversleep... And you're not in your office uh, you know, when you need to be. Maybe you have you know, an understanding boss that says, hey, you're normally on time. Don't worry about it this time, uh, whatever it is. But for all these reasons and others, um, you know, the opportunity for things to go wrong when you're not at the right place at the right time. One of my main rules for students uh, at camps, conferences, trips, and stuff that we go on is just, look, be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. If they can follow that rule, I feel like a lot of problems can be, uh, can be smoothed over. Uh, a lot of the other issues are minor in comparison. And if David had followed that, maybe the mess that came later could have been avoided for him. But he wasn't, and so a mess came. So 2 Samuel 11, verses 2 through 5. One evening, David got up from his bed... Again, maybe being a little lazy, laying around in bed all afternoon. I can understand wanting to, but uh, he got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of uh, Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. David was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but his problems could have stopped there. He could have done everything right from that point forward and avoided a giant mess. But he made other compromises that led to a bigger problem. He compromised on some moral standards. He gets out of bed and he's looking out on the kingdom, and he notices this beautiful woman over here is bathing. Clearly, not an ideal situation. Not something that um, you know should have happened because she's not his wife. Uh, but not necessarily sin in and of itself, unless he's going looking for that, uh, right? It could have just been, oh, whoa, sorry. Didn't, didn't know you were over there. I'm going to go and go back in the palace and whatever. Um, but instead of turning away, David sees Bathsheba. He notices how beautiful she is and he decides to himself, I want that. I want her. He lusts over her and he makes the decision to abuse his power as the king and do what he wanted, even though he found out she was the wife of another man. One thing leads to another and Bathsheba reveals that she's pregnant. She's pregnant. And so there's many points in the story where David could have just put down the shovel, so to speak, and stopped digging himself a hole. But he could could make the right choice and put a stop to it, but he keeps digging and he makes compromise after compromise in the name of self-preservation and in the name of just doing what he wanted to do because he was the king and he could. He compromises on his moral beliefs time and again, trying and failing to cover up what he had done. He calls Uriah home from battle and he he tries to pull the strings and get Uriah to sleep with his wife so that they would think, oh, it's Uriah's baby, everything's fine, no big deal, the king didn't do anything wrong. But Uriah is more honorable than David. He won't uh, go and sleep with his wife while his men are out in the field uh, at risk in battle. Uh, and so, ultimately, that gets Uriah killed because David says, okay, if if you won't do it and I can't cover it up that way, I'm just going to have you killed and I'm going to marry her myself and then, you know, everything will be fine, right? Because now we're married and then she has the baby and whatever. David marries Bathsheba. Bathsheba gives birth to the child. The child falls sick and David begs and he pleads with God to spare his son. He's He's grieving the situation that he has brought on entirely through his own compromises, his own moral shortcomings. His compromises cost the lives of Uriah and the son that David conceived with Bathsheba there. He begs and pleads with God to spare him, but he doesn't. The child dies. And two lives immediately, right there, very clear are lost because of the compromises that David made. But it reaches further than that because maybe the Israelites would have been even more successful in battle if David was there instead of Joab. If the king whom God had placed in power was doing what he was supposed to do, might God have blessed them even more? Seems reasonable to me. And what about... David's orders that led to Uriah's death, did that also cause others to die? Were there maybe some men who stayed up there with Uriah on the front lines when the others pulled back? And and then there's the damages to the reputation uh, of David and the others, the the questions that were asked. Because I'm sure everybody even then noticed, okay, they got married, um, that baby came a little soon. Everyone, you know, I think they could have figured it out on their own. And there's probably some questions asked, probably some whispers in the streets. And everyone's probably looking at David and wondering, what exactly did you do here? And David, all this could have been stopped because if he just stopped making compromise, just doing the right thing instead of just what he wanted, uh, but he didn't do it. He wanted to make himself look better, he wanted to cover up his mistakes. And and compromises of that nature do not come without a cost. Even if he had gotten away with absolutely everything, there's still the damage done to his relationship with God, right? Because we can fool every single person in this world, but we will never fool him. We will never fool the God who sees our every action, who knows our every thought, who knows the number of hairs on our head. (laughs) Nothing is going to get by him. Um, you know, we, we might think we can like the child that thinks they're, you know, pulling one over on their mom and dad, getting the cookie out of the cookie jar before dinner, but we can see the crumbs and God sees it all. He knows we're not going to fool him. When we sin, when we compromise and say, you know what? I'm going to do what I want, even though I know that it's wrong. We cause unavoidable damage to our relationship with God. It then has to be dealt with. We have to repent. We have to confess. Uh, we have to make things right. So, compromise is necessary in life, in business, in marriage. But when we compromise on the truth, when we compromise uh, on, the, on what the Bible says, we get into dangerous waters, we get into uh, a deep hole. And we endanger more than just ourselves. We endanger uh, the people around us who are affected by our actions and by our decisions. Now, they're not... It's, it's not necessarily that when we make those compromises and when we do the wrong thing that everything is lost, all hope is lost, right? Because David is still known as a man after God's own heart. He's referenced in that way even after he has had uh, these moral failings. So through Jesus, praise the Lord... We can still be made right. We can still uh, experience the righteousness of God. But in Daniel, we get a couple different examples of people who refused to compromise and the reward that they got for that. In chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar builds an image of gold and he gives the command that when the music is played, the harp and the lyre and all those things, all the people of the land are to bow down and worship this statue that Nebuchadnezzar has made. And if they didn't, the penalty was they would be thrown into a blazing furnace, right? Pretty pretty solid standards here. Either you worship this idol or you die, or so Nebuchadnezzar thought. There's a decision to be made here. The second commandment that God gave is you will worship no other god before me. Worship no one and nothing other than God. So there, there's Daniel and his buddy Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They have been taken into Babylon. They are captive. Uh, and they have a decision to make. Will they follow along with the crowd and, and do what is expected of them? Or will they stand on God's word and, and be obedient to him in the face of what would seem like imminent death? Would they do what was easy in the interest of self-preservation? Daniel 3, 12 through 18 has the answer. There are some officials coming to King Nebuchadnezzar, and they are complaining about this. There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So they did not compromise furious with rage Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego so these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre harp, pipes and all kinds of music if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to save you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. So they're confident. They believe and they know that God can rescue them and they they believe that he will. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Put some extra emphasis on it there on the screen. Even if he does not, they have this incredible strength in their faith. It doesn't matter what you threaten us with. It doesn't matter what you will do to us. We will not worship this false God that you have set up. And of course, I, I believe pretty much everyone here is probably familiar that they get tossed into the furnace and the, the Babylonians look in there and they see, well, there's not three people in there. There's a fourth in the fire with them. And they turn off the fire and they come out and everything's fine. They don't even smell like smoke. God saves them. And Nebuchadnezzar, for a time, believes. He, he understands. Oh, your God is, is that strong. That's that part of between that and Daniel interpreting his dreams and everything, Nebuchadnezzar comes around a little bit. But then later on, there's Darius who takes over the kingdom. And Darius has some people in his ear that are talking about, King Darius, you're so great, everybody should worship you. Because they're jealous of Daniel. And Daniel has risen to a position of of great prominence, and he is faithful to God. And they know that he's not going to pray to anybody except for the real God, the one true God. And so they trick King Darius into making a law that if anyone is praying to anyone besides King Darius, they're going to get thrown in the den of lions and Daniel again, could have compromised. He could have said, you know what, just for this, uh, I think it was 30 days, if I'm remembering right, Um, but just for this period of time, I can just avoid praying out in public. I won't get caught. I won't pray to Darius, but I won't be obvious in my prayers to God. I'll just kind of sink back in the shadows and bide my time, but Daniel doesn't do that. He doesn't compromise. He knows that his... His faith in God is more important than anything else. And he continues to pray uh, every day. And so they catch him because they know this is the way to get Daniel. Ask him to compromise on his God. And if he won't, he's in trouble. He said, we got him. We know it. He's going to get thrown in the den of lions. They think that they have figured it out and they've gotten rid of their problem. But again, God saves Daniel, right? He's thrown in the den of lions. He's fine. Wakes up in the morning. Hey, Darius, how you doing? Everything's great. He refused to compromise on his beliefs. And and like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he was saved from what looked like certain destruction. Now, that's not to say that an uncompromising faith will save us from any earthly pain. It is extremely possible that there will come a time where believers will be killed for their faith. It happens in many countries around the world. That, that they risk uh, jail or death or any number uh, of consequences for their faith in God. Uh, there are pastors in Canada who have been thrown in jail for continuing to preach uh, during the midst of the pandemic. There's been a lot of that threatened here in America, but I don't know that any of it's happened yet. Uh, but in Revelation 2, Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. He doesn't say, don't worry, you won't suffer. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. He challenged them to be faithful even to the point of death like Daniel and his friends were. And, you know, today we, we honored our graduates and uh, those 8th graders going into high school Uh, and the ones moving on to college or uh, work or whatever it is, they're going to be tested uh, in a lot of different ways. And many of us, we know what that's like. We have been there. uh, We have experienced that. And, you know, that's why we need to come alongside them and support them and encourage them and check in with them and help them stay connected to the church uh, and connected to that faith because they will be asked to compromise their faith. They will be asked to go along uh, with the crowd there will be pressure they will have their faith questioned uh, as well as the source of it because there are there are churches out there who question whether or not the Bible is really true they call churches they call themselves churches uh, I would say there's no such thing as a church that questions the validity of a Bible it's just a building where people go um, they're, they're people all over the place trying to twist and, and and change the words of Jesus and what he really meant. Uh, there, I saw a video where a so-called pastor claimed that Jesus had to repent uh, of racism in dealing with uh, a Samaritan woman. And it just blows my mind the way that God's word gets twisted and to make compromises all in the interest of Seeming politically correct or, you know, being more open and inviting to people, it's it's insane to me. It's absolutely wild, but it's out there and it's popular and it's gaining steam because people have compromised when it comes to what they believe about the Bible. The Bible is not meant to tickle our ears or to make us feel good about ourselves. God's word is meant to communicate his truth. And like it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness among so many other things. What is true is true no matter how we feel about that. God does not change. His truth does not change uh, with the culture. And I, for one, am very glad for that. But we are living in a world where uh, we are asked to make compromises. We are asked to make it uh, easier on others. Well, let's, let's not be so harsh. Let's, let's be more open and inviting. But the Bible's clear on many things. It, it doesn't mince words when it comes to sin. Your sin causes a problem between you and God, our sin, between us and God we may be asked to compromise on what we believe in the interest of not offending others or loving them but what could be more loving than to stand on the truth of God's word and be unwavering in our belief that it is the source of our knowledge about who and what God who and what love really is someday we're going to stand before Jesus maybe it's soon maybe it's not right no one knows the day or the hour of his return But when we do, I pray that we're able to stand firmly upon his word, knowing that we have done everything we can to preach what is true and what is right, regardless of the consequences. I pray that we will be faithful to do what it said and not what the world wanted us to do. We don't want to compromise like David did with Bathsheba, setting aside what's right in favor of what we want in the moment, in favor of what is easy But let's stand firm like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, even if it'll cost us everything. It'll cost us friends. It may cost us family, teaching positions, jobs, whatever the case may be. But as Jesus said to the church in Smyrna, our faithfulness, even to the point of death, can be rewarded with life as a victor's crown for us. And that's that's enough for me. And I pray that that's enough for you. And we've, we've seen that the cost can really be great if we compromise on our beliefs. But the benefit of not compromising could be even greater. And so we're going we're gonna to finish uh, with one more song here, our invitation song. Um, and I encourage you to respond however God moves you um, to respond. Uh, whether that is in prayer or you know coming forward to pray today, uh, I'll be up here, Bill's back there at the back uh, or just going out and living life in a way that is uncompromising uh, no matter what. I believe that the Bible is true and that's going to dictate everything that I do. We have, we have a lot of opportunity uh, to be different in the world that we live in, uh, to stand Uh, on our faith in a way that stands out and i believe because i have experienced it myself that when we do that people will have questions and they'll want to know what is it that you have that i'm missing and then we'll get the opportunity to tell them of the greatest thing in the world god's love so we're going to worship let's pray before we go into our last song father god Thank you for your love. Thank you that Jesus didn't compromise when it was time to go to the cross. That he didn't take some other way out. That he did what you called him to do even though it was difficult. God, I pray that we will do the same. That we will be unwavering in our belief even if it costs us everything or if it costs us nothing or anywhere in between. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. And we look forward to seeing what you will do next in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.